0: Section 22 of Greece and Rome. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Colleen McMahon. The World's Story, Volume 4 Greece and Rome, edited by Eva March Tappan. Section 22 In the Temple of Aphrodite by Ernst Eckstein. The first decade of the month Alaphobolian, had commenced, and the city of Miletus was swarming with its annual throng of strangers, who, partly from religious motives, partly from the pleasure they took in the splendour of the manifold ceremonies and the gay, mirthful bustle of the occasion, had flocked thither from far and near, giving the marketplace and street of the harbour a totally different aspect. Matronly women who desired to implore the goddess's favor for a beloved daughter rosy girls who attributed greater potency to their own prayers because they would be more fervent and impassioned than to their parents petitions handsome youths who did not come to pray but to enjoy besides a multitude of pleasure-seeking men from the most varied conditions in life all met in brilliant Miletus, even barbarians from scythia black-eyed persians with flowing trousers and tall tiaras Egyptians draped in cloaks, and merchants from Campania and Brudium were seen among the visitors. During the first day of the festival, which was filled with all sorts of preparatory ceremonies and solemn processions, but also with luxurious flower-scented symposia, Acantius, by the priest's directions, mingled in the throng at will for this first day bore no share in melanippus's plans and the more acontius dispelled the secret impatience that consumed him by mingling in the motley throng crowding the streets and squares the better for him he should keep himself vigorous so thought the priest for it was possible that the decisive moment might make heavy demands upon the youth's coolness and determination on the second day the sacred rite was performed in the temple which opening the real festival of the goddess was also peculiar to the city of Miletus, the three fairest and most aristocratic maidens who entered their seventeenth year in the month eliphebolion were on this day consecrated as it were to be the mediators between the goddess and the people from the third hour after sunrise until toward noon they were obliged to remain alone in the sanctuary apart from all other worshippers to prepare for the solemn sacrifice which when the sun reached its zenith they were to offer in the form of two snow-white doves to the immortal goddess these doves were not slain as usual but set at liberty between the central pillars in front of the temple and from the manner and direction of their flight the people learned whether aphrodite would continue her gracious protection to the city and defend them from hostile invasion famine and pestilence flood and fire as she had hitherto done Or whether some unknown peril was hidden in the future as the archon annually had these doves reared on the island of Hyatusa, the birds after fluttering to and fro a short time invariably went in the direction of their home that is westward which was considered by the people an omen of good fortune because the sea from whose foam according to the hellenic myth the goddess was supposed to have risen lay toward the west Among the three chosen maidens whose duty it was to perform the ancient rite at this festival, the fairest and most aristocratic was Sidippe. Upon this fact, the priest of Aphrodite had founded his bold plan, without considering whether the hours of preparation spent by the young girls in the sanctuary could be used for furtherance of his design, without offending the dignity of the goddess. A more beautiful sacrifice, he said to himself, was never offered to the foam-born divinity by her priest than the aid rendered faithful love in the conflict against foolish and ruinous prejudice. On this momentous day, Acantius remained at home. The priest of Aphrodite was to send him a message. The youth, clad in festal garments, paced restlessly to and fro between the courtyard and the garden. Coronis, whom he had informed that he was expecting a slave from Melanippus upon some very important business, did not stare from the stone bench beside the entrance. Acontius also came there every five minutes, betraying such unusual excitement that the widow shook her head anxiously. "'You hope to hear good tidings,' she said, "'but I warn you, whoever rushes to meet happiness too impetuously will find the gods place unexpected obstacles in his path. Keep calm, Acontius,' A steady eye sees the mark more clearly than one half-dimmed by the roseate haze which tremulous yearning surrounds every object. We all have our experiences, and though you do not reveal your secret to me, I can see through you. Only Eros arouses such storms. The youth did not hear Coronis's wise admonition. Ere she had finished speaking, he had hurried away, and again began to roam about the garden this time by way of variety taking the path to the top of the little mound from which on the first day of his arrival he had looked over into old laogorus's patch of ground the memory of the impetuous girl who had once treated him with so much gentleness and kindness and then changed so suddenly now for the first time in weeks weighed heavily with a vague foreboding of evil upon his heart during all this time he had not seen Niera at first coronis had expressed her surprise at the flute-player's absence but afterwards she probably suspected the connection of affairs and perceiving that acontius avoided the subject asked him no more questions the sculptor more and more engrossed by the one thought which the priest had fanned into a flame found no time to trouble himself about the probable fate of the young girl once he had asked laogorus for tidings of her but merely learned that she had left her former lodgings where she had gone, what was the cause of her sudden departure, were points on which the old man could give no information. One thing was certain, Niera no longer visited the street of the harbour, to the great joy of her avaricious rivals. Laugoris grieves for Niera, Acantius said to himself, how pretty and sweet she was when she greeted the old man the first day of his arrival. I deeply regret that, though innocently, I am the cause of this grief, for I cannot doubt Niera left Laogorus's house to avoid me and my vicinity. May the goddess, to whom I consecrate my grateful heart, forgive me, if, in my intercourse with Niera, I have behaved foolishly or thoughtlessly. But I did not suspect, and no one can commend himself, you shall love here and remain unmoved there. Spite of this self-defense, a feeling of secret reproach still burned his soul, and the mood seemed to him now that he had so decisive a step in view no omen of success a sudden fit of cowardice stole over him a presentiment that in the conflict for sidippi he would have to endure a long and torturing atonement for the sin he had unintentionally committed against the unhappy his landlady's voice interrupted this sorrowful train of thought the messenger from melanippus trembling with joy he rushed to the courtyard where Clitophon was waiting for him. "'My master invites you to the festal banquet given to-day,' said the man, "'and will expect you in the Domitian at the fourth hour after noon.' This had been the message agreed upon between Acontius and Melanippus. The youth now knew that he must repair to the temple without delay. "'I will be punctual,' he replied. "'Please give my thanks to your master, "'and accept, in return for your many services, "'this trifling gift for yourself.' He gave the slave a gold coin, which Clitophon eagerly accepted and departed. A few minutes after, Acontius said to Coronus, I now have the message for which I waited with so much longing. Many matters of great importance and value to me will be decided at this banquet. If you are kindly disposed towards Acontius, pray to the gods that everything may result as I desire. Meantime, I will wander through the market and the street of the harbor, as I did yesterday. I cannot endure the loneliness of this house longer than is necessary. Farewell, good Coronis. With these words he left the house, and by a circuitous way reached the temple, where a low door with copper bosses led into the subterranean portion. Here there was a windowless room of moderate size, dimly lighted by a chimney-like opening. A three-armed chandelier on the wall cast a ruddy light upon the bronze tables and some chairs and benches at one of these tables sat melanippus holding in his hand a round object wrapped in a white cloth were you seen entering asked the priest as the youth approached i think not the narrow path behind the temple is little used and i chose a suitable time did you fasten the door again with both bolts very well now do not forget what you are to say if the matter as i joyfully hope should be publicly discussed in the presence of the people after giving you the harmless instrument of our stratagem i shall go up to the vestibule you have slipped in do you thoroughly understand slipped in without my knowledge if the matter fails i will pay the fine imposed upon the curious by the state but emphasize the point that it was the omnipotent will of the immortal goddess herself that you obeyed he rose and took the muffled object from the table the snowy woolen cloth revealed a large yellow apple As Acontius was evidently amazed that an apple should be the instrument of so important a plan, Melanippus continued, The instrument I offer is simple, but if everything results as I desire, it will prove more effective than you suppose. The plan, too, is as simple as the instrument. That is why I deemed it needless to give you a precise explanation. The few words I now have to say will suffice. As you know, the three maidens have been in the sanctuary an hour and a half their devotional exercises are now over and they will rest for a short time as i just noticed sadippe occupies the golden chair at the right of the entrance while her two companions have taken the purple and silver ones at the left let it now be known to you that according to ancient custom every vow and oath sworn in the temple of aphrodite is to be inviolably kept or misfortune will come to the faithless one's family and unless atonement is instantly made on the city and its whole population therefore all Miletus jealously guards the sacredness of such vows well then our object is to lure from your in the sikos of the goddess the vow that she will become your wife this vow according to all human foresight will be made if you open the side door of the sanctuary and carefully roll this apple to the feet of the beloved maiden I will now wrap it in the cloth again, so that you may be more certain of your throw. The fruit is so smooth that without the cloth it might roll too far, and it is Sidippe and not either of her companions who must lift the apple from the floor. Open the door so gently that no noise can be heard. Toss the fruit in, and remain perfectly quiet. I think you will hear something that will fill your heart with joy." Acontius gazed at the priest of Aphrodite somewhat timidly but the pleasant smile which beamed upon the doubter assured him of melanippus's confident belief in his words the priest withdrew and acontius taking the apple in his hand went up the stairs from the accurate description of the temple melanippus had formerly given him he was sufficiently acquainted with the position of the side door but even without this he could not possibly have missed it for the subdued voices of the young girls who were now talking together in the interval between their devotions showed him the direction he was to take. The small door moved noiselessly. Acontius's heart beat high as he glanced into the sanctuary. His eyes instantly rested upon the beautiful profile of Sidippi, whose head was turned slightly aside, and through the chink between the edge of the door and the jamb he caught a glimpse of the other two girls. There was no difficulty in carrying out the priest's directions. He availed himself of the moment that Sidippi's face was still more averted, and carefully calculating the distance, flung the apple directly at her feet, where it lay, half unwrapped from its covering, by the fall. "'Where did that come from?' said Sidippi, stooping. "'That is the question I was going to ask you,' replied one of her companions. "'Did you see nothing?' Sidipli continued, taking the queer ball from the floor. "'An apple, how strange! Has it any connection with the mysteries of the foam-borne? And here, what does this mean?' no it's incomprehensible sidippi's face had suddenly flamed with blushes there is an inscription on the apple an inscription by all the immortals i don't understand it Iole, did you see who threw the apple in no no replied her friend but read it perhaps the inscription will give the clue to the enigma on the contrary it deepens it let us say no more about it she tried to hide the apple in her robe what cried Iole. "'Do you want to conceal a secret from us, your companions, in Aphrodite's sanctuary? "'And who tells you the apple was meant for you? "'Do you think it was the son of Priam who handed the token of his admiration to the fairest? "'Come, sweet Sidipe, don't tease us. "'You see, we are almost dying with curiosity.' "'The allusion to the judgment of Paris produced its effect, "'for there was nothing that Sidipe more eagerly avoided than the semblance of vanity.' "'You are mistaken, Ioli, she said, with another blush. "'It was only because I thought the matter too unimportant. "'But if you wish, I will read it. "'There are only a few words, and they are foolish enough.' "'She drew out the apple and read. "'I, Sidippi, the daughter of Caridemus, "'swear by the immortal Aphrodite that Acantius, "'the sculptor from Mylasa, shall be my husband.' "'She tried to smile, but did not succeed in doing so "'with her usual aristocratic calmness.' she doubtless suspected that this incident was something more than mere idle sport though she could not have guessed the design of the writer of the inscription what have you done cydipi cried aioli don't you see that the inscription you have read is a trap my father told me that something similar once occurred in the temple of diana at delos and that the oath was kept you have sworn cydipi for whatever passes your lips in connection with an invocation to the goddess while you are in the sanctuary is inviolable "'Ioli, what are you saying?' asked Sidippi, rising from the chair. "'The truth! You have sworn, Sidippi. At this moment the side door opened, and with his mantle falling in ample folds around his shoulders, Acontius, who had listened to all this with a joyous heart, stood with a glowing face among the maidens. "'You have sworn, Sidipli,' he solemnly repeated, "'if the goddess, dispensing rewards and punishments, still rules over the lives of mortals, you are mine.' or your faithlessness will bring misfortune on us all what do i hear a man's voice in the circle of chosen virgins was now heard from the huge central door and melanippus with the priestly fillet around his gray hair calmly entered his bearing full of grave dignity here in the sanctuary melanippus was acting as the interpreter of the great multitude of the people who understood the service of the goddess in their own way and, according to their view, Acontius's act was reprehensible. But, so said his mute glance, as soon as my official dignity is laid aside and appearances are separated from realities, I shall again be what I have always been, the true servant of the divine Aphrodite, who heeds the form very little in comparison with the substance, and values a single kindly deed more than all the pomp of these ceremonies." melanippus now turned to Aeoli and asked for information about what had occurred the young girl told the story the priest seemed to be reflecting for a time then he addressed acontius you have gained your purpose sidippe cannot dare not break her vow even her father the illustrious archon will not venture thus to insult the goddess and the devout people of Miletus. but the consequences of your triumph lightly as you may regard them in comparison with what you have won you must accept with all humility for the law is sacred as well as the goddess's will go now Acantius. i was well disposed towards you so i will consider what can be done to avert the wrath of the senate i regard no offence so pardonable as that which can plead in excuse a passionate love and that you do love sidippe that it is the maiden you seek and not the daughter of our most influential citizen and the heiress of so many millions is proved to me by the purity of your nature which I have learned to value, and by the timid shyness which still marks the victor. Indeed it is so, cried Acontius, pressing his right hand upon his heart. I should love you, Sidipe, and you only, though you were the most insignificant of the slave women. I desire neither your father's treasures nor the luster of your name. I want nothing save yourself, your divinely sweet face and the heart that must love me if the goddess is gracious to me these words uttered in accents glowing with the most ardent passion did not fail to produce their natural effect which was still further heightened by the peculiarity of the whole situation in short the secret half-unconscious fancy which sidippi had felt for the handsome youth suddenly burst into a bright blaze and the more her haughty aristocratic companions seemed to pity her fate the more the soul of the noble-hearted girl was stirred by an eager spirit of contradiction and the firm independence which enables men to cross the barriers of prejudice spite of this sudden and significant change she remained perfectly silent come said melanippus turning to the youth who was radiant with joy you must now leave the temple that the sacred rite which is about to commence may not be disturbed and you daughter of caridemus do not i beg let your thoughts dwell either with favor or wrath upon what has happened here but devoutly utter your pious prayers and distribute the gifts of spring. Remember, the prosperity of your native city is at stake. The young girls gave themselves up for a time to the impression of what they had experienced. Then the temple servants entered to conduct the virgins to the altar. The maidens, each bearing two snow-white doves in a rush basket, knelt in the sacred place and laid their gifts upon the beautifully decorated slab. "'Aphrodite,' murmured Sidipe's virgin lips, princess of all who breathe glorious ruler of gods and men mistress of so many radiant temples from east to west honored in paphos as on the defiant heights of eryx in Amathus as here in this wave washed region hear oh hear me bless the people and their mighty rulers bless the city and her pious guests bless meletus bless meletus repeated her companions and six rounded arms were extended from the maiden's gleaming robes towards the statue of the immortal goddess. Now followed a series of symbolical rites, during which the throngs in the sunlit agora grew denser and denser, as the people flocked to witness the appearance of the three fairest maidens in Miletus and the flight of the sacred doves. When the sun had reached its zenith, Melanippus came forth between the central pillars of the peristyle, and announced that the sacrifices to the immortal one had been offered, the prayers and all other rites prescribed by ancient milesian custom were ended and the maidens were already being conducted from the hall of sacrifice into the vestibule he now moved aside directly after floating white robes glimmered at the back of the colonnade and the three virgins with the folds of their snowy festal garments flowing proudly around them and their beautiful arms bared to the shoulder took their places in front of the entrance to the temple the light west wind gently stirred the flowers of the loosely woven garlands on their fair bright brows with the left hand they slightly raised their upper robes till they formed a drapery which concealed the little baskets containing the sacrificial doves that were to be allowed to fly at the sight of these youthful figures so radiant with beauty and grace living peans to the omnipotence of the goddess of love the vast multitude burst into acclamations of boundless delight. Siddippe's two companions blushed, but she did not appear to hear the frenzied homage, which certainly was not offered least to her. Grave and motionless, she waited the signal from those experts on interpreting the flight of birds, the Oainiste, who, directly after the maiden's appearance, had stationed themselves on their right and left at the corners of the lower story of the temple, in attitudes of solemn pathos the signal was given and the confused roar of voices in the thronged agora instantly sank to a subdued murmur raising the open baskets with both arms the three virgins said in low tones favorites of aphrodite return to the purple bosom from whence the goddess rose gay festal music echoed in alluring cadences almost at the same instant all the doves flew out of the little basket hovered timidly a few minutes over the heads of the throng And were then flying westward when a bird of prey which hitherto had been a mere speck in the azure sky darted down like a flash of lightning seized the leader of the six doves in its talons then after circling twice around the agora with its bleeding victim as though in mockery soared towards the south in the direction of didymoy cries of indignation pity and anxiety rose on all sides the two grey-bearded Oainiste left their posts, while Melanippus led the young girls down to the Agora where their relatives awaited them. Here, too, in the midst of a numerous train of attendants, stood the Archon Charidemus, who had quitted his official seat of honour in the portico of his house to get a nearer view of Sidippe, who was the pride of her father's heart. He received the young girl with a strange smile. "'It was your dove,' he said slowly." No one could have determined whether the words meant reproach or anxiety or whether Caridemus simply wished to take the matter lightly in the manner of a man who is superior to the prejudices of the common herd. In fact, Charidemus did not believe too implicitly in the significance of the flight of the doves, but he knew the populace had faith in it. The thought that his Sidippi might be regarded as the source of the misfortune which the oeniste would predict from the disaster that had befallen the murdered dove affected him unpleasantly so he was wavering between all sorts of contradictory emotions which like an experienced man in the world he strove to veil behind the mask of courteous indifference my dove replied sidippi i stood here as the representative of the city if the goddess is angry Miletus and the illustrious senate are to blame The older of the two augurs now appeared between the central columns. His companions stood apart beside the tall, tiara-crowned form of Melanippus. The tumult died away. ''Milesians!'' the Oenistes began in a voice that echoed far over the throng. ''The future before us is not quite so cloudless as has been the case for a long series of years. The incident you have just witnessed indicates unexpected battles and sore troubles.'' the way to avert these things is to have every citizen remain loyally where the will of the immortal gods places him every man do his duty every one avoid more carefully than ever sacrilege animosity violence and the violation of your vows and oaths no crime must profane the soil of Miletus. then the vulture that threatens our peace will again pass us by may aphrodite grant us her favor "'echoed from a thousand voices through the ranks of the people. "'Apparent disaster may have a good result,' Charidemus said to his daughter. "'A fresh spur to virtue would not be too dearly purchased, "'even at the cost of a few external complications and troubles. "'Come, Sidippi, the crowd is growing more threatening every moment. "'My attendants are scarcely able to protect us "'from the elbows of the poorer citizens and slaves.' "'In fact, the throng was pressing upon them "'more and more from every direction.' and looks of surprise and inquiry sought the young girl's face, now bowed in conscious embarrassment. Low murmurs became audible amid the confused buzzing of the crowd, remarks which, though enigmas to Charidemus conveyed to Sidippi distinct allusions to the incident in the sikos of the temple of Aphrodite. The news of the bold deed of the sculptor from Malassa had reached, as if by magic, every nook and corner of the city, and amid increasing excitement, People were already relating the most extraordinary details concerning the decision of the daughter and her illustrious father, while Caridemus had not the slightest suspicion of what had occurred. End of section 22. This recording is in the public domain. Recorded by Colleen McMahon.